0: Lovers of horses and hello, lovers of mystery. My name is David Dedrick. Welcome to Horse Mysteries, the show that combines both of your interests.
1: My name's Lisa Williamson.
0: And hey, dear, it's season three of uh, our, it's our new season, season, season three. I haven't uh, seen you since uh, season two.
1: Ah, yeah, long time no see. Except
0: every day because we <laughs> live in the same house.
1: True. <laughs> okay, yeah, so this season has a theme.
0: Oh, okay. Are you going to tell us what the theme is? I or?
1: will, yeah.
0: Okay, what's the theme? Movies. Oh, okay.
1: Not everyone, but 50% of our episodes <laughs> okay. will be movie-related, somehow or other.
0: So do you mean there's a movie about the horse yes. in question? yeah. Or about the incident Something in question? Something like that, yeah. Or they made a movie that used the name of a horse that's in the...
1: Well, yeah, usually there's a a movie about this thing that we're going to okay. be talking about.
0: Okay, cool. Uh-huh. So if people want to want to know more... They can watch a totally inaccurate movie that plays, uh, has fun with the facts of the actual case.
1: (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, I've only (laughs) seen the movie for this episode once. but I don't remember. It was like many years ago.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, um, before we get to that episode, though, you know that I like to do a little thing called horse bits. Mm -hmm. And so you've been dreading it, but here we go. Actually, this is uh, kind of, it's not really horse anatomy, but it is kind of. Because what I'm curious about is how a horse, a bit, like reins in a bit, work in a horse's mouth. Like, how do they control a horse? Like, is it just pure, like... Pressure. Just, that's all it is.
1: Yep. Yeah, so...
0: It's not like Ratatouille.
1: Why? What happened in
0: Ratatouille? Well, you know, like the rat's pulling the kid's hair and he's just been making him walk mm-hmm. around like a...
1: Yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> um, no, it's not like Ratatouille. <laughs> so basically, the, the bit sits yep. in the horse's mouth, so yeah. it acts on a number of places in the mouth. So the primary place that it's going to react is to the, or act is on the horse's corners of its lips. Um, Okay. Also the lips themselves, the bars of the mouth. So we talked before, I think, a little bit about the teeth that the horse has. So they have incisors in the front, like we do, molars at the back, like we do. But there's a big gap called the diastema. And so that's a big area that has no teeth at all. And so that's where the bit sits. Okay. So kinda of, if you can imagine like that very back place at the back of behind your molars. So that would be if a metal bar was pressing on it. That's kind of what it would feel like. Yeah. And then the other place that the bit acts is on the tongue. I see. And then certain bits used a certain way can also act on the roof of the horse's mouth. Hmm. And so there's number of yeah points of pressure. That's okay. That's called that will react. And then different bits uh, put pressure on in different ways. Okay, so,
0: so different bits have like different amounts of leverage to them? Yeah,
1: different amounts of leverage, different sort of action. So uh, just a straight bar snaffle bit is what you call a straight or direct action bit. So if you pull with two pounds of pressure, that's what the horse feels in its mouth. But then you get a jointed snaffle, uh, and then we end up with the amount of you know pounds of pressure that you're pulling with, but you also have a nutcracker action, because now it's squeezing the lower jaw. Okay. And so it puts more pressure. Then you can increase that or decrease that by adding little uh, extra kind of levers, or not levers, but little extra pieces on the middle. So making it, instead of a single joint, a double joint. Mm. And so sometimes with a double jointed bit, like one called a French link, they have a flat plate and so that just rests on the tongue and it decreases the nutcracker cracker action so it's more ergonomic for the horse's mouth uh so that's what actually harris goes in a, a french link bit um but then there's another double jointed bit called uh, dr bristol and the plate is bigger and it is upright, and then that cuts into the tongue. And if you've got a horse with a low upper palate, it can touch the upper palate. And You you know, if you touch your own upper palate, you know how sensitive that can be. A lot of Western bits, like spade bits, have these big things that stick up. And so as soon as you pull back, then that touches the upper palate. Mm. Um, And then they also, uh, whether it's an English curb, like a curb or a Pelham or a Kimberwick or a Western curb, they have leverage because they've got a chin strap of various sometimes it's a chain sometimes it's a strap of leather um, so that when you pull back it rotates the bit forward so that applies pressure on the pole there's pressure under the chin and then the longer the shanks are on the bit the more leverage you have and so the more severe it is so There's also gag bits, which um, work on a pulley system and really squeeze the horse's head. So, yeah, every type of bit has Mm. a different kind of action. I thought a
0: gag one was where you pull on the reins and the reins just come out. (laughs) You're just holding a pair of reins in your hand and then (laughs) riding off wildly on a horse. That would be
1: nicer for the horse, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Momentarily, anyways. Uh, So... Yeah, basically, it, it totally depends on the bit that you're using, mm. and and the other thing is the skill of the rider pulling on the reins, too, sure. so that makes a big difference. But yeah, generally speaking, yeah, there's all these points of pressure, and then some people decide it's mean to have a bit in a horse's mouth, so I'm just going to use a bitless bridle, which they have as well, which mm-hmm. is also called, well, hackamore is another name for it, Um, but... Yeah, with hackamoras, again, it's the same thing. You're pulling and you're applying pressure to the nose and there's nerves up on the nose um, and cartilage on the nose and very little bone in that area. So it's an area that can be damaged. Likewise, the bars of the mouth, you can pull so hard that you can kill the nerves in the bars of the mouth, and so horses can get what's called a hard mouth, uh-huh. and that never comes back. Yeah, Yeah. People sometimes think they're being nice and putting a bitless bridle on, and uh, studies have shown that after about six months, the horse starts to kind of ignore it a little bit, okay. so you just start to have to pull harder. Um so, again, it depends on the skill of the rider and training level of sure. the horse and everything. So,
0: What about a bit that has... I don't know how we got into bits because it's supposed to be about anatomy, but what about the bits that have like the little, little uh like
1: twirly things? Like
0: little ball or so. is that for them to play with? Like for the Yeah,
1: so some bits will have a like a spinning thing. Yeah. And like I don't know if you remember Phoenix, the horse I had, the quarter horse mare. Yeah. She had a very sort of nervous mouth, mm. and so something like that would help her just kind of like calms them down. It's yeah. kind of like a fidget thingy <laughs> fidget spinner? Finished, yeah, and so <laughs> some horses will like that and they just kind of play with it and it Gives them something to do. And then there are bits there, the whole part that's in the mouth are rollers. Yeah. And so, yeah, sometimes that is for horses that pull a lot. Um, I have one bit called a waterford, which kind of looks like a big chunky necklace, and it's just got all these joints, and it looks quite severe, but there's nothing solid for the horse to lean on. So if you have a horse that does lean, they can't lean on it because there's nothing solid. But at the same time, it, it also is sort of ergonomic on the horse's mouth and it doesn't have that nutcracker action. So it looks kind of mean, but it's not really mean. I don't. I don't use it. I just have it for demonstration. But um, <laughs> yeah, there's a whole bunch of different bits and they continue to invent different kind of bits and different kind of materials for bits as well. Mm. Like... Um, they have different sort of plastics and vulcanite and rubber and, you know, stainless steel is the most common one, but yeah. copper is a little softer and the horses mm. react to that. And there's a company in Germany called Springer. They've actually invented two different alloys, which like one is called Argonon, I think, something like that. Sure. And it's like an actual metal they've invented. It's actually an alloy, that they but sure. a combination of different metals. and patented it that and used it for for bits one of the problems i guess is that after a while it changes color and so then it looks sort of dirty so they've invented a new one and they were phasing that one out but (laughs) yeah anyway um yeah if if people can make money off it they'll keep trying to sell you stuff
0: sure sure all right well this really was horse bits today Mm -hmm. so dear yes what is this episode called
1: this episode is called Enemies Be Gone.
0: Enemies Be Gone. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. What
1: does that sound like?
0: Enemies Be Gone? I don't know. Shakespeare?
1: <laughs> okay. So, basically, the setting just is... Just laughed at me. <laughs> yeah, I laughed at you. Yeah. The setting is a farm in Atherton, California, which oh. is just outside of San Francisco. Okay. And the time is early in the morning of April 5th, 1932. So, what were you doing? April 5th, 1932.
0: <laughs> I was suffering through the Great Depression. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was out there in the bread lines mm-hmm. with everyone else, you know. Like, you've read, you've read Grapes of Wrath. Yeah. I was like Tom Joe, dear. I was like out there, you know, trying to organize, uh, you know, labor to try to fight, you know, the capitalists that set the country it was back so far. And it was a terrible time. Mm-hmm. So the dust bowl. Yeah. The whole thing. I had a dusty bowl. I wasn't actually in the dust bowl. Mm-hmm. I just mean, I had a yeah. bowl that was sitting around for a long time. I got kind of dusty.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. (laughs) I don't believe you, but whatever. (laughs) I I can picture you there. Thanks. Okay. So, but the incident here... But am
0: I in black and white?
1: Are you in black and white?
0: In in your imagining of me in that time period.
1: No, I weren't actually.
0: Sepia-toned?
1: Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, the incident here is that um, a groom called Tommy Woodcock goes to check on the racehorse that he has been charged with, a horse called Farlap. Hmm. And so, he...
0: I didn't know Farlop was uh, from the 30s. Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: That
0: explains his weird name.
1: Yes, yeah. Well, actually, it doesn't explain his weird name. We'll talk about that a bit, though. <laughs> uh, so, he, he has a nickname. Farlop has a nickname. He okay. calls him Bobby Boy.
0: Bobby Boy, okay.
1: So, Woodcock finds a usually energetic and affectionate gelding, listless, suffering what appears to be colic. So, we've talked about colic before. Basically, stomach ache and a horse Uh, And it has many different causes and affects many different parts of the anatomy. It's just a very general term. So, vet William Nielsen is immediately called and the horse is treated. So, initially Bobby appears to improve, but then he suddenly relapses. And it soon becomes obvious that they're not dealing with any regular colic. Hmm. So, the horse has a temperature, which is unusual for colic. Um, And by lunch, he's in agony. So, as was the therapy... So, it's probably
0: not colic then, if you no, have a temperature. No,
1: yeah.
0: so, Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Yeah. I don't even know the story, and I'm jumping <laughs>
1: ahead. Yeah, so, as was common therapy at the time with colic, or suspected colic, the horses walked and walked mm-hmm. and
0: walked. Been there.
1: Yeah. So, the stable worked to keep the information of Farlap's illness under wraps, but by mid-afternoon, the horse is exhausted and collapsed. Hmm. So, Dr. Nielsen is called again, but unfortunately, he does not make it back in time. At 2 p.m., lying prone, Farlap whinnies, groans, and then nuzzles Woodcock's hand as blood and fluids start seeping from his nostrils. Huh. The horse then hemorrhaged violently, covering Woodcock with blood and died. So the newspaper headlines that day simply read Farlap dead, collapse in California. So the country of Australia goes into mourning. Suspicions. Wait, what? What?
0: The country of Australia. I thought you said this was near San Francisco.
1: Yeah, he was in San Francisco. Well, you gotta wait.
0: Okay, this, this is. is oh, yeah. boy. Hey.
1: <laughs> so, uh, suspicions immediately mount that the champion racehorse has been poisoned. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Who's Farlap? Uh, why Why is Australia uh, mourning <laughs> this American yeah. racehorse? Yeah. Well, turns out Farlap was a legendary New Zealand bred thoroughbred racehorse oh. who ran primarily in Australia.
0: You know how you knew he was from New Zealand? Weird name? No, he said, we is the car.
1: wee the car. Yeah. Uh, so he was bred by a guy called Alec Roberts, and I love the way he spells it. L-I- No, A-L-I-C-K. Alec. Okay. Yeah. Which is not.
0: A-L-I-C-K. Yeah. So it's not even, it's not like Alex or shortened for Alexander or anything. No. It's just its own.
1: but I think it is actually, uh, my uncle Leonard had a brother called Alec, spelled the same way, hmm. but yeah, it's just a different way of saying Alex, I think. Anyway, so Alec Roberts yeah. um, bred the horse Farlap, Farlap was born October 4th. Uh, 1926 at Sea Down Stud near Timaru on the South Island of New Zealand. And <laughs> so I see a horse being born in October. And I'm like, what? Because here we yeah, have yeah, horses yeah. born in the spring. But of course, that, that would be their spring. spring down there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah. So uh, the horse was a progeny of a couple of well-bred underachievers. <laughs> so Farlap was by the British stallion Night Raid, who was a non-winner. Uh, Night Raid was by Radian, and Radium was by Bendore. So Bendore is back in my horse Archie's lineage. Oh, really? And so, like, with Archie being a chestnut, you can see on his hindquarters, he's got big, dark splotches. And those are called Bendor Spots. Okay. Because Bendor threw a lot of those. Okay. Um, wow. And then I think I've talked before about Archie also having something called Birdcatcher Spots, the little yes. white spots he yes. gets. which yes. um, It's a great name. I can't remember if Birdcatcher was first and then Bendor or vice versa. But anyways, see, we'll see something. He's got a this.
0: mix of all, all different. Yeah. I guess they all do. I- yeah.
1: Yeah. So it says after his failed race race track career, Night Raid was sold first to Australia for 120 pounds, then passed on to New Zealand for 1,400 pounds. Night Raid proved to be a good sire of distance horses, but there was some controversy later about whether Night Raid was in fact Night Raid. So (laughs) (laughs) his trainer in England, Captain Tom Hogg. Upon being shown Night Raid's photo many years later, once Farlap was famous, made the comment, that was never Night Raid. (laughs) So Captain Hogg hypothesized that horses were mixed up, in quotation marks, while being shipped somewhere along the line between the UK, Australia, and New Zealand. And in fact, the stallion standing as Night Raid was a different horse altogether. (laughs) So there's a mystery there in itself, but yeah, we aren't going into that one.
0: The other horse was on the deck in a deck chair, Mm -hmm. wearing sunglasses. No one knew it was a horse. Mm
1: -hmm. So Farlap was out of the mirror Entreaty, who was by the UK stallion Winky. I like that name. (laughs) So Entreaty broke down after her first race. Winky,
0: that's one of the the witch's guards in uh, Wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. They're Winkies.
1: Okay. Um, So yeah, she broke down after her first race and never ran again and was retired to the breeding shed. Farlap was her first foal. An entreaty then went on to produce seven full siblings, none of whom were winners of any significance. Hmm. She also produced four half siblings, and only two of them were winners. Huh. So, Farlap's registration papers describe him as chestnut with a white near hind leg and a white off hind fetlock, a star on his forehead, four black spots on his off quarters, oh, so bender, those are the bender spots. spots, and uh-huh. a white spot over a black spot on his near quarter, birdcatcher spot. <laughs> on a bendor spot. Um,
0: so, Birdcatcher spirit catcher would be before bendor then because he would have oh, Birdcatcher catcher I'd, would be earlier in his lineage because he wouldn't have or unless
1: I don't know. Birdcatcher spots are really weird. They just come and go.
0: Oh, is that right? Yeah, so they're not named after a horse called bird catcher? Yeah, yeah, they are. Oh, okay.
1: But, yeah, uh, you can not explain
0: before and I thought that they were
1: No, yeah, they after. you can't uh you can't say oh because you only have one bird catcher spot and a bunch of bendor spots. Then, yeah. No, I it doesn't have anything to do Bird catcher spots are really weird. Some horses don't get them until they're five or six years old, and then all of a sudden they're covered with them for two years, and then huh. they disappear, and Archie's come in the fall, and then they are there over the winter, and then they disappear in the yeah. summer.
0: Cause so, they're, they're Australian.
1: Yeah. yeah, and then he didn't get them until two years ago, I think, either, <laughs> but... Whatever. We'll That's a great.
0: That's probably my favorite name for a horse, bird, bird catcher.
1: Yeah, it is a good It is a good name. I like it. So, he, Farlap, ultimately grew to be a towering 17 one-hands high. Wow. So, 17 times 4 inches plus 1 inch, if you want to do the math.
0: Sorry, say so, that again?
1: 17 times 4. What's that?
0: 17 times 4? Well, I don't know. 28, <laughs> 40 68, is it? 68?
1: Plus 1, so 69. Yeah. And then divided by 12 feet. Okay, yeah. Uh, anyways, whatever. That, that would, <laughs> will tell you how many feet and inches he would be. Okay. That's measured at the top, highest point of the withers. I see. So he was said to have a plain head, a poor neck, a weird gait, but the most perfectly conformed hindquarters and hind legs, which resulted in his tremendously long and powerful stride. Huh. So at one year of age, Farlop was sent as Lot 41 to the yearling sale near Trentham, New Zealand, in a group of six horses from Sea Down Stud. So Sydney, Australia racehorse trainer, Harry Telford, who is described as dour and uncommunicative and his own track record as a trainer was barely second rate, <laughs> had seen the catalogue of the New Zealand sale and was impressed by far-lap to breeding.
0: Hmm.
1: I don't know why you'd be impressed yeah. by a, <laughs> a horse that broke down in its first race and then a non-winner, but whatever. He liked it. Um, I guess the
0: names. He knew the names. No,
1: no. he The horse was, did not have a name yet.
0: No, no. The names of the horses. Oh, her, the names the, of the horses. Of yeah. The Oh, damn.
1: So, not having sufficient funds himself to purchase the horse, Telford first talked to bookie Bob Price to see if he could procure the needed money. Hmm. When that did not work, Telford turned to his small but loyal group of clients and finally found a taker in Russian-born American businessman David J. Davis. Now, Dave Davis? Yeah. Last season, we had Dave Davis killing his wife. Different guy. Okay. All right just in case you're worried yeah this I guy thought. gets around
0: well i was also thinking uh, besmirching the david named david is mm-hmm. yeah well that
1: that other dave davis what was he he was a farmer he said he was
0: oh, a pharmacist
1: guy. and then he became a pilot and he was a concert violinist or so he had all these like weird jobs and so now here he is in australia <laughs> but,
0: no different different person yeah
1: same name, different guy. So Davis was a relative newcomer to Australia uh, who had initially opened a photography studio, but amassed some middling wealth through his side business of importing china and silverware. Huh. Fairly new to the racehorse business, Davis reluctantly agreed to buy the yearling sight unseen as long as the price did not exceed 190 guineas. Huh. So 190 guineas. Do you have any idea how that much that would be?
0: Now or at the time? either guineas so those aren't pounds <laughs> no would, different would It would be like i don't i don't even know how, what what we're talking about okay how about if it was 312 farthings what would it be then
1: i don't know but mm. i i looked up guineas okay you see it a lot and it's kind of yeah. interesting so basically
0: 192 hens the
1: guinea ceased to circulate yeah. in 1816 what this, this is in the uk
0: okay in the uk, <laughs> in the UK um, they got rid of the uh, guinea.
1: they can but because they was, decimalized Yes.
0: No, they didn't much the
1: Well, they did something. Um, they continued to use it, though, as a unit of account. So a guinea is the same as 21 shillings or a pound five. So that would be the
0: well, exchange how, That is just, So a guinea is equal to one pound five P? Yeah. Ridiculous. Okay. It's worse so, than the imperial system.
1: Yeah. And so a, a guinea had... Basically, associations with the aristocracy. And so because of that, even though they ceased to use it in the 1800s, they continued to use guineas as a form of payment um, or like a name of payment um, in things like professional fees, prices of land, horses, art, bespoke tailoring, furniture and, and luxury goods. They would all be quoted in Mm. guineas in the UK anyway into the 1970s. Australia stopped using the guinea in 1966. So there, the guinea was equivalent to $2.10 Australian. But that works out. It it just depends because I tried to look it up based on their money back then. And I got varying amounts, but basically... Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that because what the guy said he would pay and what they ended up paying for the horse were different as well.
0: So
1: mm. anyway, so Telford's... said so
0: he, he set a limit of 192 Yeah, 190
1: guineas. guineas so basically or about guineas, yeah, 200 pounds okay. UK, approximately. It's a rough approximation. Sure. So Telford's brother was a racehorse trainer who lived in New Zealand. And Telford instructed his brother to buy the horse for him. And his instructions were, as long as he has any sort of head and four legs buy him. <laughs> so the brothers then arranged for a business associate called Jack Scullings or Sullings to yeah. bid on the horse. But in the meantime, Telford looked at the catalog again and found a different horse he wanted to buy. Okay. Um, so this was a colt by a stallion called Tea Another great name. Um, <laughs> a good
0: name. And so no he was, bird catcher, but it is a good no, name.
1: No, but he was more interested in the tea tray cult than he was in the night raid cult. So he wrote a letter to his brother telling him not to buy the night raid cult, buy the tea tray cult instead. Okay. He mailed it off. Yeah. But as luck would have it, the second letter arrived too late. Hmm. So his brother got it after the sale. The brother had gone ahead with plan A, purchased the night raid cult. Um, and then so when the hammer came down on lot 41, it was with a final bid of 160 guineas, so that was 30 under Davis's ceiling, yeah. So that would be again, I tried looking it up and I got varying figures between $336 and $700 today, okay, is what they would have paid.
0: So in modern times,
1: back then, back then, no, today, today, okay, yeah, so not much anyway, no, so. When the horse arrived in Australia, Davis went to see his new purchase, and I guess he knew enough about horses that on first sight he flew into a rage at seeing the wart-covered, gangly, awkward horse with the weird gait.
0: He's wart-covered?
1: Yes. So yearlings, for some reason, periodically will get, their whole face gets covered in warts. Hmm. I know, it's a weird thing. It's horse acne. And then, yeah, teenagers. they disappear by the time they're two. Okay. Um, not all of them get it, yeah. but some do. And it's, yeah, it's quite unsightly. It's some kind of, I guess, warts are, what are they? A virus? I think they are viral infection. And it's, so okay. it's, yeah, but it doesn't affect them in any other way. It's just unsightly and they go away. But he saw this, you know, pencil necked, ugly headed, <laughs> weird moving, wart covered horse. But and, wait a second. What?
0: He, this, what? Why is this criteria changing?
1: Well, he it was the trainer said that, not oh, the Oh, this is the owner. The owner yeah. is upset.
0: Okay, I'm sorry. The
1: owner. So, um, yeah, he he uh, blew a gasket. <laughs> he has a confrontation with Telford, the yeah. trainer, yeah. and he told him he was going to refuse to pay anything more. He was just not going to. He, he's already handed over money for the purchase of the yeah. horse, but not going to yeah. pay anything more. So then Telford worked out a deal with him. He offered to lease the horse for three years he would cover all the costs, including his training fees. Davis would receive one-third of any winnings a horse might make. Yeah. So that's actually a very good deal for the owner. Calvert's next move was to name the horse. So rumor has it the horse was named by a medical student called Audrey Ping. And I couldn't find anything else about that person, um, <laughs> but there. P-I-N-G? P-I-N-G. His or her her name was mentioned many times in relation to Farlap. Okay. So they were a medical student at the University of Sydney, and their father spoke Thai. Huh. So Farlap, F-A-R-L-A-P, was the Thai word for lightning, so literally sky flash. Uh, Telford was superstitious, and adjusted the name by substituting P-H for F, because he had noticed that most of the Melbourne Cup winners at that time had seven-letter-long names. (laughs) That's why the horse has a weird name.
0: Okay, numerology. Mm
1: -hmm. Telford then made the decision to geld the colt so that Farlap would concentrate on his job.
0: That's a weird decision.
1: Yes. So of all the decisions he made over the course of his time with Farlap, this is probably one of the rare ones that didn't pay off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway,
1: but then they were off to the races so in his first race far no, why would he well, that's a weird i think maybe because
0: it, if it pays off i mean you know that's where your money is is the stud fees and stuff like that yeah
1: but i don't know if he was just trying to get his name as a trainer yeah you're gonna have a horse that's easier to deal with yeah um and it Said that he was kind of a second rate trainer. He had a small clientele. Yeah. I think he was just trying to build his business. So sure. get some runners out there, get them winning. Yeah. I think yeah. that's kind of, he was looking a little too short term. He was
0: very, sh- yeah, I yeah. guess he's, I mean, probably by necessity, he was thinking in short term.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. I'm satisfied. Yeah. I'll, I'll let this go.
1: Yeah. So in his first race, Farlap ran last.
0: <laughs> in his second,
1: third, and fourth races, yeah. Farlap did not place. But Telford wow. did not lose heart.
0: Were there a lot of jokes about being far from Lap's and <laughs> stuff like that?
1: I doubt it. So finally, in Farlap's fifth race, which yeah. was called the Maiden Juvenile Handicap at Rose Hill on April twenty seventh, nineteen twenty nine, Farlap had his first win. Huh. A-, a week later, on September twenty first, Farlap won the Rose Hill Guinea by three lengths. Over the next four years. Got a pound of five. Over the next four years, Farlap won a phenomenal 36 of his next 41 starts. Wow. So almost 100 years later, Farlap is still considered the best racehorse ever to come out of New Zealand. And is arguably Australia's top racehorse as well.
0: Probably the only horse to come out of New Zealand.
1: (laughs) No. New Zealand produces good horses. Um, I'm sorry,
0: New Zealand. I apologize. In
1: 1931 alone. I mean,
0: that's where the riders of Rohan are from. Yeah, exactly. six. I should have known that. Yeah.
1: So in April, or in 1931 alone, Farlap won 14 races. So over the course of his career, Farlap won the Melbourne Cup, two Cox plates, and 19 other wait-for-age races. Hmm. He often won by several lengths and frequently finished at half pace.
0: In oh the, yeah, Really? Yeah. So that means he's so far in front. Yeah, so far front in front that he's slowing down. He can down. just have an easy, yeah. easy trot in. Wow!
1: Yeah, so in the Crazy. Australian Jockey Club St Leisure, he won by 120 yards. Farlat mm. remains the only horse to be favored in the Melbourne Cup three times in a row, and in his final challenge in this race, he ran second, carrying 62.6 kilograms or 150 pounds to the winner's 98 pounds.
0: So we would we shouldn't be thinking like. Um, if he was in the States, he'd have stiffer competition and might not have done so well.
1: Australia is a big horse racing country. Okay. Yeah. They okay. have some good horses. So after three years and at the end of his three-year lease. I'm not
0: putting down Australia. Mm-hmm. I'm just the devil's advocate here. I'm yeah, just yeah. trying to like look at it from all points of view.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, and also
0: knock Australia. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so at the end of the three-year lease between Davis and Telford, an agreement was reached that saw Davis sell half of his stake in Farlap to Telford for four thousand pounds. So this might not seem like a good decision on Davis's part, but his opinion was that the horse was nearing the end of his career. <laughs> there were some concerns about a leg that was chronically inflamed.
0: Okay, well,
1: Davis was also acutely aware that the horse was a gelding. And as such, no further income would be coming in from breeding fees upon his retirement. Yeah. Then in 1932, the decision was made to take Farlap to North America to run in what was then the world's richest race, the $100,000 Agua Caliente in Mexico. Huh. So Telford was completely against the decision to transport the horse out of Australia. He stated that he... Sorry, who
0: made this decision?
1: Well, there's two owners now. Oh, okay. Because... The
0: uh, sorry Davis sold Davis, his yes his, Davis his share. sold
1: half share to Telford, okay. um, so Telford uh, stated he would not go himself, and so therefore the horse would not have a trainer. Huh. But then Davis overrode Telford's decision and appointed Farlap's groom Tommy Woodcock as a trainer in situ. So hmm. Telford's responsibility at his home farm prevented him from accompanying Farlap, even if he had wanted the horse to go. So yeah, yeah, I think you know because. They were like, it doesn't matter. He's going anyway. If he was that kind of guy, he would have gone, oh, okay, I'll go. But yeah, he had had a bunch of stuff going on at home. So he just had to go, all right, go ahead. So on the surface, the appointment of Woodcock as trainer was logical as he was as devoted to Farlap as the horse was to his groom. (laughs) Huh, really? So it was said that the gelding would become frantic if Woodcock was out of his sight for too long and would not eat food if anyone other than Woodcock tried to feed him. Oh,
0: there's some great gelding jokes there, but anyway, go <laughs> on, dude.
1: Woodcock regularly slept outside of Farlap's stall to help keep him calm. So the horse was shipped via boat to Mexico and they experienced a very rough 18 day sea journey. Wow. So while in transit, the announcement was made that the race's prize money had been reduced from $100,000 to (laughs) $50,000 due to the ongoing worldwide economic depression, but it was literally too late to turn back. Yeah. So after the grueling 18 days on the boat, the horse arrived in Mexico and had to run almost immediately. Wow. There was no time for any training works. Additionally, Farlap had developed a serious hoof crack. So, Farlap showed up at the paddock before the race with his foot bandage, and he appeared to be walking tenderly on it. Hmm. Farlap started at odds of six to one. So, aside from the lack of conditioning and the hoof issue, he encountered another problem at the Mexican racetrack, which was the starting gate, a form of equipment yet to reach Australia.
0: Ah, yes, of course.
1: So, Farlap was bewildered by the gate, (laughs) and when the race started, he didn't.
0: (laughs) Poor Farlap.
1: Yeah. Eventually, he was urged out of the gate, but by that time, the field had a 50-yard lead on him. Hmm. Ultimately, Farlap caught up with and passed the field. Wow. Yeah, it's said that he won the race on three legs, to the chagrin of some American gangsters. (laughs) Farlap was then shipped up to the Menlo Park area, just outside of San Francisco, where Davis began negotiating with racetrack officials around North America for Farlap to appear in special races. So it was there that he died, his sudden violent and an unexpected death. Wow. So at the time of his demise, Farlap was estimated to be worth a 100,000 pounds. Why did he die? Yeah. So you already guessed he didn't have colic.
0: <laughs> I did guess Yeah. he didn't have colic.
1: So Farlap's sudden and violent demise was not his first brush with death. Back in Australia, just before the 1930 Melbourne Cup, Farlap's life had been threatened twice. The first incident occurred at Caulfield when Woodcock was leading Farlap down the street, returning from a workout on the track. A truck swerved and attempted to ram the horse, but due to the quick-thinking actions of Woodcock, the horse was pulled out of the way. A couple of days later, on Saturday, November 1st, Farlap was shot at during the early morning hours. In wow. this, yeah, in this instant, Woodcock was ponying Farlap from his gray horse as they returned from a workout at the track. Hmm. So as Woodcock approached. so ponying,
0: it, so people know as uh,
1: leading, yeah,
0: someone some leading the, but leading the horse while riding another horse, right? Yeah. Um, that's curious. So now were these like, like, ga- like gangs or or gangsters, mm-hmm. gangsters.
1: or like gangsters? Yeah, it was having to do with betting.
0: Okay. Yeah. And so, because he was winning so 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 handily, it was hard to like I cheat at the track or whatever. Yeah, I or,
1: guess. I guess. Or I
0: guess they thought like
1: they oh. throw everything into disarray. I don't understand. Yeah, how. I don't understand. What yeah. what's
0: the what's the benefit here? I don't know. They run a horse over with a truck. <laughs> then what? What is your plan? Yeah, I guess. Now it's... You, now people can't bet on that horse. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, what does it do then?
1: I don't know. I don't understand it. Okay, so this is what happened in his second uh, threat. So, basically, as Woodcock approached Glen Huntley Road, he noticed a blue double-seater car with a bad paint job idling at the corner of Glen Huntley and Manchester. When he attempted to look at the people in the car, he noticed that they were all holding newspapers in front of their faces, (laughs) so they could not be identified. Concerned because this was coming so close on the heels of the previous truck attack, he quickly pulled Farlap down a side road, uh, not before noting the license plate number. Immediately, the car started up and raced up behind them. At this time, Woodcock noticed a person in the car with a double-barreled shotgun, so he spurred his pony horse forward and sideways, knocking Farlap into the hedge, and then both horses jumped forward. Simultaneously, the villains took a shot and sped off. Woodcock reported that they were aiming for Farlap's legs in an attempt to lame him. Fortunately, they missed, and later that day, Farlap won the Melbourne Stakes. Then three days later, he won the Melbourne Cup. Davis put up a reward of 100 pounds for anyone who is able to solve the crime. Hmm. Upon Farlap's death in California, there was speculation that he had been killed by gangsters. However, most newspaper reports regarding the cause of death were that the gelding had died as a result of ingesting green grass from a field near his paddock.
0: Can't find that in Australia.
1: No. So two hours after his death, Farlap's remains were already undergoing a necropsy. Following the postmortem, Dr. William Nielsen, who is also the vet who had been treating him over the course of his short illness, told international news services that he had never seen a horse die so quickly of natural causes. His report included the information stating that there was some, this is a quote, some poisonous substance in the stomach. (laughs) He believed that this toxic substance caused far symptoms and consequently had resulted in his death.
0: So they couldn't do a... Like an analysis to find out what kind of poison it was? I
1: guess back then maybe they couldn't. Okay. I don't know. So upon hearing this news, the U.S. Bureau of Food and Drugs conducted an investigation. They found that local oak trees had been sprayed with lead arsenate, an arsenic-based insecticide, just days before Farlap's death. They theorized that the spray was spread by the wind to the stables and ultimately caused the horse's symptoms and resulted in his death. However, several days later, state chemists refuted this finding, claiming that the amount of arsenic in the insecticide would not have been sufficient to kill the horse. Huh. A criminal poisoning theory quickly arose with the belief that Farlap had been poisoned. One theory had gangsters doing the poisoning, while another theory had anti-racing activists doing the poisoning. <laughs>
0: Okay, Cause, because because uh, r- racing is cruel to horses.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's the logic, right?
0: So they're going to kill a horse yeah. in order to. Well,
1: it's like anti-abortionists blowing up, you know, people.
0: They're not killing babies.
1: Well, maybe they are. If the ladies that are there. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> Use your logic, Mister Dedrick. <laughs> but yeah, it's the same thing, right? People become extremists; they're yeah. fanatics, and yeah. they just. They lose sight of logical thinking. So yeah. anyway, it was a theory. So four and a half years <laughs> after Farlap's death, in September okay. of nineteen thirty six, Woodcock penned a never before heard story for the Brisbane Courier Mail, okay. where he recounted a threat from gangsters in North America. Oh no. He told of an American referred to as the Brazilian who had been who had taken to hanging <laughs> around confusing. Farlap's stall, first in Mexico and then again later in the USA. In response to the Brazilian hanging around the stall, Agua Caliente Racetrack had hired a full-time armed bodyguard for Farlap. And in the USA... Sounds like
0: uh, Farlap was in some hot water. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) In Mm. the uh, USA, Farlap's team continued with a watchman who oversaw Farlap's food and water when he was out of the track, out at the track. Uh, Meanwhile, Woodcock never left the horse's presence, sleeping outside of his stall nightly. Woodcock outlined some of the other extraordinarily tight security measures that were put in place for Farlap beyond the 24-hour armed security. This included grain being imported from New Zealand, water being bought in five-gallon jugs at the cost of a dollar a jug from Mexican Springs that was taste-tested by his handlers before being given to the horse each time, and Farlap's food and water being guarded at all times. Wow! So in spite of all this, Woodcock claimed that Farlap's Life was in danger from the moment he landed in America. And that was a quote. Yeah. Woodcock also claimed that he was so scared immediately after Farlap died, and so he kept any suspicions of intentional poisoning to himself. The day after Farlap died, he claimed to have been visited at the barn by the Brazilian, who not only admitted to killing Farlap, but also threatened him with a gun and claimed he would kill Woodcock if he squealed. Huh. Fearing for his life, Woodcock remained quiet until safely back in Australia.
0: Wow. I wonder if he was called the Brazilian because he had no hair. Huh.
1: No hair where? So, looking back from the 21st century, Dr. Graham Putt, an authority on horse racing, refuses yeah. to believe the mafia conspiracy as being too fanciful. Okay. So, back in the day, Telford also did not believe this rumor, stating that there was nothing to gain by killing Farlap. He stated the big race was over. There was no betting on the next because they're all going to be special races after that, like exhibition races or match races. Additional findings of the autopsy show that the horse had been suffering from ulcers and he had developed severe acute inflammation of the stomach and colon. The stomach was also distended with gas. More recently, Dr. John Vindel, an equine surgeon, and Dr. Sally Church, a research scientist from the University of Melbourne, examined all the physical and anecdotal evidence provided and hypothesized that Farlap died of an ailment yet unknown to veterinary medicine in 1932. Hmm. So according to them, all signs point towards a gelding having died of interior enteritis, also known as duodenitis proximal jejunitis, or DPJ. It wasn't until- What not- happened
0: to good old names for, hor- for horses <laughs> Well, these are just
1: like the duodenum. Colic. Well, colic, but here they're being very subs- like site-specific because yeah. duodenitis, that's the duodenum, which is part of the small intestine. Yeah. Itis is inflammation. Yeah. Um, proximal is just directional. And then jujunitis, uh, the jejunum is another part of the small intestine. It was inflamed. So the duodenum- Just call
0: it ringer scurvy.
1: <laughs> well, it doesn't tell you anything. This tells you what is it's happening name, and where though. it's happening. It's
0: a, you can't forget that name.
1: No, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't help you. It doesn't help you. So, yeah, it wasn't oh, until it 1980 did. that this ailment, which yeah. is a form of bacterial intestinal enteritis, was better, first noted Better known as Ringer's test. scurvy. Yeah. You'll, I'll just change all my books to <laughs> indicate that it's now called that, according to Mr. Dedrick. Thank you. Okay. Anecdotally, the symptoms <laughs> seem to fit. So fever, high heart rate, a buildup of fluids in the stomach, leading to perforation and ultimately death. Hmm. Stress, especially from shipping and Farlap's unrelenting training and racing, could have been contributing factors in the development of this disorder. So... On a similar vein, in the book Farlap by Jeff Armstrong and Peter Thompson, the hypothesis was raised that Farlap was killed by a toxin from the family of bacteria called Clostridium. So, travel is a big stressor with this disorder, and up to 70% of horses afflicted die. Yeah. Meanwhile, historian Marion Austin has theorized that the feed that was brought in from New Zealand for Farlap had gone moldy, and that is what caused the issue. So, however, in 2006, new technology allowed for new testing to be done on the remains of Farlap, which had been preserved in a unique way.
0: Really? What was, what was unique about it?
1: Uh, Well, they had, well, I'll tell you. Oh, okay. Basically, they had m- much of Farlap still around. <laughs> around? Well,
0: I get, yeah. I get, I get it. Okay. But how did they preserve it? Okay.
1: Well, like in they, a
0: jar? Like a pickled in a jar?
1: Mm, yeah, various parts of them, I think, were in okay. pickles, but. In pickles. In pickles, yeah. They were pickled. Um, Anyway, so on the conclusion of Farlap's autopsy in 1932, Davis, who was already not popular with the Australian public for taking Farlap to North America, paid for Farlap's remains to be returned to Australia. I see. And right after Farlap's death, Davis sent his heart to Dr. Stuart McKay at the University of Sydney, where he examined it with pathologist Dr. Welsh. Hmm. Dr. McKay recommended that Farlap's heart, which weighed in at 14 pounds, be donated to the Institute of Anatomy at the University of Canberra, due to its impressive size. For years, Farlap's heart was displayed beside the heart of an army horse for the purpose of comparison. In 1980, the university's collection of wet biological specimens became part of the National Museum of Australia, which is where his heart now resides." So meanwhile, Farlap's hide was stuffed and is on display at the Melbourne Museum. Farlap's skeleton is now on display at the Dominion Museum in Wellington, New Zealand. <laughs> Unfortunately, several of Farlap's other internal organs were said to have been placed in a metal box and buried somewhere near the site of his death. Oh. But the exact location of these items has never been found. Consequently, there is sufficient remaining physical material available for more sophisticated arsenic testing to be undertaken. And in 2006, testing by the Australian Synchron Research Scientist showed that it was a single dose of high levels of arsenic administered just before his death that resulted in Farlap's demise. This raised the spectre once again of the possibility of nefarious individuals such as a US gangster causing Farlap's death. However, there were many detractors of this theory who felt the arsenic present in Farlap's hair could have been the result of the taxidermic process, as mm. arsenic is a significant compound or component in the compound used for preservation. Oh, okay. In particular, the physicist doctor Hutt. Author of the book Farlap denied the claim and stated that Tommy Woodcock, a well-loved horseman and honest person, would not have lied about the death of Farlap. Hmm. In 2008, a separate study done by Ivan Kempson of Taiwan's Institute of Physics, Academic Sinica, and Dermot Henry of the Museum Victoria confirmed that a single large dose of arsenic had caused the death of Farlap. Using an advanced photon source synchroton from the Agorn National Lab outside of Chicago, and high-resolution x-rays to detect specific differences in arsenic that was ingested versus that which was infused in the process of taxidermy, six hairs from the horse's mane were analyzed. The team looked at the distribution of arsenic in cross-section, as well as along the length of the hair shaft. Hmm. In order to make... An accurate comparison, the team went to a Scottish museum and secured hairs from a variety of horse specimens that had undergone the taxidermic process during the same era as Farlap's specimen had been preserved. So, using these horses, who would not have been exposed to arsenic in any other way than through the taxidermic process, comparisons were made between their hairs and those of Farlap. What was found was that a different arsenic chemistry and distribution in the hair was obvious between a horse that had been fed arsenic and one that had only had arsenic applied externally during taxidermy. In Farlap's case, his arsenic was found to be bound to sulfur, whereas horses that had only undergone taxidermy only had arsenic bound to melanin. Carlapp's hair samples also showed that there was a massive arsenic peak just below the skin on his hair samples, indicating that he had been administered a killing dose of arsenic 30 to 40 hours prior to his death. Meanwhile, horse hair that had just undergone the taxidermic process had consistently lower levels of arsenic present, and this was always evenly applied along the full length of the hair shaft. This evidence clearly pointed to Farlap's case being consistent with arsenic poisoning. Hmm. The theory was put forward that perhaps Farlap had died from an accidental overdose of a tonic that was administered by his handlers. During his life, Woodcock had always sworn that Farlap had never been given any of the tonics that were commonly administered to horses back in the day. Physicist Dr. Hutt, author of the book Farlap, denied that arsenic poisoning was a possibility, I already said this before yeah. and say that Tommy Woodcock wouldn't have done that. Anyway, however, in support of the arsenic poisoning theory, in April of 2008, a handwritten notebook that was supported by Telford or owned by Telford was discovered and put up for auction. In it were written recipes for tonics that contain strychnine, cocaine, caffeine, and have as their main ingredient arsenic. Huh. Further to this, although throughout his life Woodcock had denied that Farlap had ever been given any tonics, on his deathbed in 1985, he was said to have confessed that Farlap may have been given an overdose of tonic, but this claim was dismissed and discounted at the time. Hmm. Sydney vet Percy Sykes supports the accidental overdose theory stating that racehorses back in the day before drug testing were routinely administered manufactured tonics such as Fowler's Solution, which contained 1% potassium arsenic, so Ka-502, were readily available. Homemade variations similar to those found in Telford's Notebook could easily have resulted in accidental overdose. I was reading that uh, Fowler's Solution was still sold, like you could go buy it, up until the 1960s. Huh. And people would use it as well as
0: oh, yeah, on, on animals. Oh, yeah. lucky it wasn't around when they had the whole coronavirus thing with people. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> taking a dewormer. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, so so Fowler's tonic solution, water solution Fowler's, yeah, Fowler's was like a arsenic solution with like other.
1: I think yeah, it probably had. What did it say? It had things like um, caffeine and a little bit of cocaine. I'm yeah. sure they had.
0: Taken the cocaine out yeah. by that
1: time but yeah a stimulant is yeah. basically what it was mm-hmm. so stimulant for humans and for they would use it for animals
0: yeah
1: as a racehorse farlap earned 66,732 pounds australian at his death he was worth an estimated 100,000 pounds While Farlap's mother, Entreaty, did not ultimately produce any offspring other than Farlap that were runners of any significance, one of his full sisters, Nia was imported to the USA and was the dam of major stakes winner for Freedoms. Another sister of Farlap, the mare Raffis, was dam of Australian Broodmare of the Year, Bobalong, and the grandmother of Australian champion Monte Carlo, and this line also produced the 1988-1989 Australian Horse of the Year, Research. A third sister, Fortune's Wheel, was a dam of Sunline, who was the Australian Horse of the Year and four-time New Zealand Horse of the Year. It is believed that a descendant of Eclipse in treaty possessed the X Factor and passed on the large heart size that contributed to making many of the descendants superior racehorses. So, similar to the Secretariat thing. Yeah. Davis continued racing horses for a few more decades, but never experienced the same success he had found with Farlap. Davis died in California in 1959. In 1990, his descendants discovered a photo album in the attic of the family home. It is the only book that contains a photo of every race Farlap won in Australia, complete with personal notes made by Davis on the back of each photo. Harry Telford, the trainer, capitalized on the good luck brought to him by Farlap's success and by 1930 had acquired many racehorses. He then bought a property called Brayside in Mentone, Victoria, and upgraded it as a training establishment at great cost. His commitments at Brayside in part prevented him from accompanying Farlap to North America. After Farlap's death, Telford trained few winners and had to give up Brayside by 1938. (laughs) He continued training with very little luck. When Silverfield won the Bellwin Handicap in 1953, it was noted that it was Telford's first win in Melbourne in 14 years. (laughs) He retired from racing in 1957 and died in 1960 at age 83. Aaron Treve Tommy Woodcock, groom, had been hired by Telford from a part-time position and made full-time after Farlap's third win. Even before this, the pair, Woodcock and Farlap, had bonded. After a failed attempt to remain in the U.S. that saw him deported by immigration, Woodcock returned to Australia and became a trainer. He had an extremely successful career and was appointed an MBE in 1978.
0: Wow.
1: A biography was written about him by Margaret Benson, and he had a cameo role in the Farlap movie. He had married back in 1931 And although childless themselves, the couple opened their home to many children from disadvantaged backgrounds and provided a place for all of their apprentices to live as well. A well-liked figure, a lifetime non-gambler and non-drinker, Woodcock was honored by the Victoria Racing Club in 1984 with their Lifetime Trainers Award upon his retirement. He died on April 27, 1985, at age 80. In popular media, numerous books on Farlap, His Life and Death, have been written, including the one by Dr. Graham Putt and the 1980 book, The Farlap Story, by Michael Wilsonson, that inspired one of the most popular Australian films, the 1983 movie known as Farlap. Uh, PlayStation also has a Farlap horse racing challenge game.
0: Oh, <laughs> That's weird.
1: Yeah. A $500,000 life-size bronze statue of Farlap stands near his New Zealand birthplace. Another life-size bronze statue of Farlap can be found in Melbourne. Farlap remains a national icon in both Australia and New Zealand. In 1978, a Farlap stamp was issued in Australia. Knowledge of Farlap is also a component of the Australian Citizenship Test. (laughs) Farlap was one of the inaugural inductees into the Australian Racing Hall of Fame. He has also been inducted into the New Zealand Racing Hall of Fame. The USA's Bloodhorse magazine has Farlap rated as number 22 in the list of top 100 champions who have raced in North America. So I entitled this episode, Enemies Be Gone. Yeah. So there is an old saying called Enemies Be Gone with Arsenic. Oh. <laughs> it was actually a slogan for arsenic. Oh. Yeah. So, an old slogan, um, because arsenic was known as the king of poisons. Yes. So, it's been used as a stimulant and a tonic, especially in the 1800s. In Austria, a group of mountaineers were called the arsenic eaters. They used it to give themselves energy, I guess, to do okay. mountain climbing. Sure. Um, and then later, That's they weird. developed uh, an organic form of arsenic that uh, didn't kill you immediately.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, Yeah.
1: yeah. You, we're able to use it for our altruistic reasons. It's actually used, I think, in like a form of cancer therapy okay, now. Okay. But yeah, for, for hundreds of years, it's been used, or a hundred years or so, with this Fowler's tonic, tonic being probably the most popular one, tonic stimulant used to give people energy and horses, whether they wanted it or not, <laughs> energy. Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, interesting. It's interesting that the groom had more success as a, as a trainer than the trainer who, I mean, I mean, let's face it. I mean, every trainer would look great if you had Secretariat or mm-hmm. Seattle Slough or, or affirmed, Far Lap, yeah. yeah, Affirmed or whoever, you know, as your uh, Seabiscuit or whoever, mm-hmm. like that's going to make you look like a magician, you know, and you might never, ever have that again, especially if you're not like a great judge of horse flesh. Yeah. Like if you don't, you know, like the, Telford was just lucky that his brother was able to buy the horse for him i mean Mm -hmm. he almost didn't get the horse yeah he may have discontinued on as a as an unknown Mm -hmm. guy struggling away
1: second rate slowly poisoning his horses yeah slowly poisoning his horses (laughs) and getting fewer and fewer clients as he went and i think that's part of it is you need to be able to attract and keep good clients who can buy decent horses and it sounded like that was something that was lacking with him sure whereas tommy woodcock everyone loved him yeah he was well respected he was seen as this great guy. Yeah. But
0: he also seemed to actually like horses. Yes, like he actually, yes, yeah. you know, like he slept outside yeah, of the stall and, he, and Farlap definitely. loved him. Yeah. You know, and that, you know, like horses are a good judge of character, mm-hmm. you know, like they don't like everybody, you know, they, they hate me. <laughs> they do not. <laughs> it's a joke. But uh, they, you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, obviously that he had some kind of, uh yeah. You know, uh, that probably helped too. But I do think that you need to also have like a, like a, at least a sense of like what a good, what it would make a good racing horse or have like a, a gut instinct mm-hmm. about, about them because you can have all the clients you want, but if you're constantly losing, eventually your clients are going to go away, Yes, like, you know, so you have to have some balance of the two of mm-hmm. uh, being popular, of having good clients, but also having successful horses, you know. Obviously Telford was not that person who right. <laughs> spent fourteen years in the desert before he uh had his had another win in 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 Australia.
1: Yeah, that's the sad part. Like him yeah, losing his big dream farm and then Yeah. Yeah, keep, you know, carrying on doing that job that just seemed to get worse and worse and yeah, no yeah. luck and Yeah. But yeah, some people just never give up, right? Yeah. And he just kept on going. But it makes you kinda of wonder.
0: Well, I just kind of wonder about his uh, competency, too. I mean, he's using all this, uh, you know, poisons on, on, on his animals, mm-hmm. you know, like, that can't be the first time that happened, you know. No,
1: but I think it was common. And, you know, I think, like, you said it from your farrier school, like, racehorse people, like, everything's voodoo, right?
0: That's uh, me, dear. That's not from my uh, farrier school. Okay. That's um, my opinion. <laughs> okay. So,
1: yeah, but that's that's very true, like... Um, you know, this kind of shoe works on this horse, everyone's going to use that shoe. And then someone finds out, oh, somebody's using this tonic. And it was something you could buy in a store. Yeah. Uh, people didn't really understand, I think, how bad it was. And so why not start using it on the horses? And of course there was no drug testing back then. Sure. So even if it was found to be a stimulant or understood to be a stimulant, it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, people had very little knowledge of these things and Yeah.
0: Just wanted to win.
1: Yeah, too much of a good thing. Good thing in quotation marks.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, when I say something as voodoo, is because usually there's no like, there's no scientific reason for what they're doing. They're just doing it because one time this thing worked, and mm-hmm. that that's in relation to the time that someone bent uh, the the racing the racing shoes at uh, a ninety degree angle at the from the heel, like like way down the quarters of the of the. Horse's foot, they just bent the, you know, to to make traction.
1: Right. So yeah.
0: yeah. And it probably a
1: Culkin, Yeah. And it
0: probably worked in in a situation where it was really muddy. Mm-hmm. But it would just be a disaster on a hard track to have a horse.
1: Well, and the disaster for the horse's heels, you'd have total caudal <laughs> heel failure and everything yeah, yeah. after a very short period of time. Well, but. Just
0: that and also just the fact that it's totally interfering with how a horse's feet mm-hmm. work and everything yeah. else, you know. So it's yeah. just a d- disaster. But because it worked that one time everyone's going to glom onto it and keep doing it even yeah. if it doesn't do anything like the whole idea of like firing a horse's leg mm-hmm. you know which is literally like applying basically like a uh
1: red hot piece of metal
0: hot <laughs> piece of metal i was thinking like people who do that like um where they use oh, it branding not well branding but, but you know they do like the wood burning thing like that's basically oh, okay. what you'd be using yeah, like yeah. a wood burning mm-hmm. tool you'd be applying it against a horse's leg. It's absolute nonsense that, that it would work at all. Mm-hmm. It's just because of custom people continue to do it, yeah. you know.
1: No, and I, I remember our old vet, he just said all it does is it makes the horse so lame that the the trainers have to give them the time off that it takes for okay. the soft <laughs> tissue to repair. Yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, the I mean it's barbaric. <laughs> And I'm glad they don't do it very much anymore. I think they still do it at the standard bread track, but they don't seem to do it at the thoroughbred track anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there is certainly... And I mean, there's practices that continue in the horse world today that are bad, Mm -hmm. and people do them because everyone does them. Yeah. I think now you're getting more people being called out about stuff like that. But yeah, there's still an enormous amount. And I mean, some of them are just general husbandry things that people don't think about like taking an unfit horse and riding it too hard Yeah. and no one says anything about that but it's it's as bad you know you yeah. can cause all sorts of problems by doing that Sure. But, sure. oh well yeah <laughs> people just don't think
0: yeah yeah huh well that was a good story to start off the uh, the year and if anyone's interested there is a film version of farlap Mm-hmm. As you said, they came out in 1983?
1: 83, I believe, yeah. And, yeah, yeah Tommy Woodcock is in it. He's got a cameo He's got a cameo. Yeah. yeah. I All think right. I think he actually... I can't remember. I saw who it was he he was in the movie, but I can't remember now. Um, and then, also, I made a Facebook page.
0: That's right. Yeah. There's a Horse Mysteries Facebook page. So, please, if you enjoy this show, go and like it and uh, see the things that Lisa's posting there.
1: Yeah. Basically, I've put every uh episode from season one on yeah related articles related pictures and then i put some videos and stuff as well nice yes great get to the other seasons later
0: (laughs) well maybe concentrate on this season now that we're in the midst of it you can always go back and do the other ones
1: i just was wanting to do them all in order okay that's that's me being anal i guess (laughs)
0: that's fine whatever you want to do Mm -hmm. i'm okay with that all right well thank you very much dear you're welcome i guess we're going to be back again in two weeks with another show and that show is going to be called toxic toxic yeah what this wasn't good what was this one called toxic
1: because it was called something else
0: all right well i'm gonna i'm gonna assume this is about britney spears of course because her song toxic
1: well-known horse rider is she no
0: (laughs) got me All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye
1: Bye-bye.